Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy John Press from the Japers Rink. John, what's going on, man? Oh, you know, just kind of hanging out. Mellow evening on the uh, home front. Yes, yeah, very mellow evening. You're you're, uh, you're you're selling it a bit short here. I mean, we're recording this on uh, what is it Monday evening now, just after Game yep. Six finished. Uh, it finished like literally minutes ago, so we haven't right. had a chance to necessarily uh, let stuff marinate or let it sink in or, or, or truly digest the numbers. But at the same time, I feel like uh, this is a good, good good time to have a chat with you here, uh, experiencing some of that raw emotion as, as a Caps fan. After a positive, uh, on a positive note for once, I feel like we haven't had uh, too many of these opportunities over the past few years. Yeah, let's give it a shot. And see what's, <laughs> what's uh, what we got to talk about. So that was, uh, you know what? Like, like I feel like this has been the case for most of the series because the pretty much by any objective measure, other than I guess the wins and losses, the Capitals have been the superior team, especially a five on five, but. Uh, that was uh, that game six performance was about as as dominant as as we've seen here so far. I mean, it was you know the, the, I don't I don't think the the capital shot totals were through the roof or anything, but by any means, but it just seemed like the you know they stifled anything the the Penguins really wanted to do. It felt like you know it was a very listless performance from the Penguins, and a lot of that probably just had to do with the fact that the the Capitals were really uh, playing a strong game without very any 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 flaws in their attack. Yeah, I think that uh, really, as to the extent that, uh, you know, while the game was still a competitive game, the, the Caps uh, had pretty good control over it. And uh, the their shot totals weren't through the roof, like you said, but uh, they had pretty much stifled everything Pittsburgh had wanted to do. You know, with a few minutes left, I think that uh, Crosby, Kessel and Malkin had combined for two shots on goal. Uh, few shot shot attempts at all the penguins had nine shots through two periods and uh frankly i think that's the kind of game that the caps want to play you know they get you saw it in the first round against toronto some and you saw it earlier in this series a little bit uh where they sort of got lured into playing these up and down games trading chances and whatnot but that's not really uh the game they want to play uh for the most part so this one was a lot more like what they have had success with uh, for really the past two years, especially this year. Um, and you saw it executed uh, 
pretty fabulously. You know, uh, at both ends, they limited the uh, odd man rushes against, which had been a bugaboo uh, early in this series and even a bit in Toronto in the Toronto series. Uh, they executed on the power play, and uh, you know, and Braden Holtby was was super uh, for them at, when it was still a game and uh, throughout the game at five on five. You know, Pittsburgh got those two four on four goals. Uh, late to put a little lipstick on the pig, but mm. you know it, it really was just it, uh, to a T what the Caps wanted to do, and uh, they did it. Well, I think this this postseason so far, from the Capitals' perspective, uh, stylistically has has been fascinating because you know I I think you can make a very fair argument that from top to bottom, this Capitals team is the most talented in the league and and has uh, immense depth and skill throughout and can really kind of play uh any sort of style you, you you could possibly get into with them and and they'd be perfectly fine playing a, a high scoring up-tempo game but then we saw in round one against the Leafs like the the only chance Toronto really had to beat them was to get into this sort of uh you know a little out of control frenzied pace and and, and take advantage of their youth and speed and and we're we've also seen that a bit here with this Pittsburgh team uh a part of it is just due to you know injuries and and uh, a depleted roster for them, but it's pretty much unless they've had these kind of uh, brief flurries with the counter attack where they've taken advantage of the odd man rushes, the Penguins haven't really been able to generate anything at five on five on offense. So the the Capitals have really needed to uh, to kind of play more of a slow, methodical puck possession style of game, and uh, we could, you know, if they get by the Penguins here in round two, and they play a team like the Rangers in round three, it might be sort of a similar thing where you want to limit those uh, counterattack odd man rushes that the, the that are the Rangers' bread and butter. So just fascinating seeing how these all ma- how these individual series are are dictated by uh, stylistic matchups more than anything else, really. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, I think this is what the Caps want to do, and. Uh, you know, I think that uh, while the shot totals through the first part of the series were very lopsided in the Caps' favor, it was a lot closer in terms of uh, scoring chances or high danger chances or, you know, the the, uh, the quality uh, sort of versions of those uh, shot metrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw the Pittsburgh Penguins getting odd man rushes, uh, numerous odd man rushes, uh, per game basically early on you know they get Benino or they get Colin shorthanded they get uh two-on-ones with uh Crosby uh as part of it and Kessel uh and you know that kind of takes a lot of the wind out of the sails of those uh big shot uh discrepancies because the the Caps you know they they had chances but there, there's a difference between, you know, those odd man rushes, you know, clean breakaways and then uh, a shot from just inside the dot with a, a couple defensemen in the way and flurry square to the shot. So, you know, that that was a big part of it. And I think, uh, you know, frankly, uh, the way Marc-Andre Fleury played for the first half of the series, uh, up really until uh, the, the last uh, game five, the third period of game five, um, you know, it, it was frustrating the caps at times and you saw it uh, wearing on the caps uh at times and they'd be impatient and that's when they get burned but they they got their heads on straight and uh certainly for the third period of game five and uh for the entirety of game six and uh they just have done what they want to do and it you know it, it certainly helps that pittsburgh doesn't have uh chris letang you know anytime you're missing a, a norris caliber defenseman like that mm-hmm. uh it's hard to recover from and uh i think you've seen 
their defense wear down a little bit over the course of the uh, series. And, you know, it, that's something that the Caps knew from the outset would be a big uh, factor in the series. Uh, frankly, I, 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 I don't know that uh, Pittsburgh has a single guy in their uh, top six right now who's uh, as good as, you know, a Morgan Riley or a Jake Gardner that they saw in the first round. So, uh, I thought that was an area that they could take advantage of, and uh, both with their physicality and uh, just playing these guys who are not necessarily equipped to play uh, the roles they're playing in because of the Latang injury. Uh, and, and I think that you've seen a little bit of that. Yeah, I mean, we're especially seeing that as the series is going along here. Like, the, you know, it's 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 very unfair uh, what. Ron Ron Hainsey's having to do just out of necessity because there's no one else right. to eat those minutes up. But it's like the you know the Capitals are re- are really feasting on him, and it's you know he's what in his mid mid to late thirties now, and and has a lot of miles on his body, and probably shouldn't be playing those types of minutes, but he has to. And and you're right, I think the Capitals have a massive advantage there. I'm curious from your perspective, um, you know, in previewing this series, whenever it started about two weeks ago or so, and and as it's gone along here, like I've I've really enjoyed watching it and following it as a fan. But in terms of, uh, you know, generating content, whether it's with podcasts or articles or, or having discussions with with uh, other people in the game, like it's I've reached a little bit of this kind of uh, gridlock or stalemate here. Where it's like there's only so many times I can say the same things about the series and the Capitals where it's like, you know, they're the better team. They're playing very well. But sometimes the playoffs are just unfair and you know if Marc-Andre Fleury keeps standing on his head and stopping uh 93% of the shots he's facing the Penguins have a chance and it's it's just like I you know you have to keep generating the daily right. content for your blog but it's I'm just like curious how how we uh how we paint a different picture here rather than just kind of saying the same stuff even though it is technically true yeah, well, I mean, shoot, after two games, the, the Caps dropped the first two games at home, uh, massively outshooting the Penguins. And, uh, you know, no one wants to hear, yeah, but keep doing it and it'll eventually hopefully turn around. But we might not have enough time now to for that regression to hit. You know, we the, the Caps are, uh, a, you know, a game three bounce or two away, maybe from you know, not being around when Marc-Andre Fleury turns into a pumpkin or whatever. Uh, and now maybe they are around to see some of that. Uh, but yeah, it's the same thing. You know, what what got me, uh, what I was thinking about, the, the thing that makes it a little bit different uh, is something I've been thinking about for a little while now. Uh, and, and that is, um, you know, we talk a lot about whether there are differences between playoff hockey and regular season hockey, right? Mm. And, you know, are the playoffs really a different beast? You know, everybody talks, it's grindy. You don't get the pretty goals in the playoffs and all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm not so sure I buy uh, a lot of that. And uh, at the same time, we talk a lot about the impact or minimal impact really that uh, coaching makes, right? So, uh, you know, we, we generally accept that there are guys like uh, a Quenville or Babcock at the, at one end and, you know, maybe some guys at the other end. Uh, but for the, uh, the, the vast majority of coaches are in this kind of middle, you know, somewhat minimal impact kind of, uh, state that, that we kind of, uh, think of them as being in, uh, but something I've been thinking about a lot with these cap teams and how is it that every time they come up uh, short 
in the playoffs and in you know suddenly their shooting percentage drops off the table and suddenly their power play drops off the table or whatever and uh, I really think that a lot of it owes to uh, something that people are, are sort of missing in the analysis and that is that you know regular season hockey um, it, it, it's not the NFL you don't game plan for specific opponents for a week and then play them right, right. you 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 pretty much you might know one or two things that you want to key on, but you, you've got games back to back. You've got a day off in between, minimal practice time, all, all this other stuff. Uh, whereas in the postseason, I think it really sets up uh, to allow more of that individual uh, game planning for for opponents, and uh, that's why I think uh, y- you see the Caps maybe early in the series uh, struggle against some of these teams, like you know, first round. Toronto gave him trouble for the first three games, uh, maybe four games. And uh, I think part of that owes to Babcock's preparation for that series. He's, he's obviously a tremendous coach. And, uh, you know, he has some schemes, you know, the four checking schemes or neutral zone schemes or breakout schemes mm-hmm. that uh, can trip up the caps. And then uh, maybe as the series, series wears on, the caps make some of those uh, counter adjustments. And, you know, maybe you saw this a bit of the same thing in this series because, you know, Pittsburgh had sticks in every lane, you know, the caps were getting a lot of shots, but they were from the outside. It was that Pittsburgh was jumping on the counter attack in a way that, you know, it's, uh, in some places looks like straight up uh, opposition research type, uh, of game planning. So I just kind of, I wonder if, uh, if that's a, a thing that people don't really pay enough attention to uh, in terms of uh, the game planning for specific opponents. And obviously, you know, at some point, these massive shot differentials uh, should lead to more goals anyway. But uh, I think that, you know, you take a, a deeper look at uh, maybe how some of these uh, systems are set up and how some of these coaches prepare for different games. And, you know, maybe there's a reason that Bruce Boudreau Bruce Boudreau uh, has had some stumbles in the playoffs. You know, you can win a lot of games in the regular season with uh, a a decent skill advantage and uh, a few wrinkles in, you know, your power play, for example. Uh, But come playoff time, when a team has uh, time to prepare for that, I I think maybe it becomes a little more difficult. And it's something that, uh, you know, I just kind of been thinking about a little bit. I haven't gone too deep on it, but, you know, it's food for thought. Yeah, well, uh, Bruce is listening to this podcast right now going like, hey, what the hell did I do, man? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, I, I definitely agree. I think that, um, you know, for, for, for people like you and I, uh, I would like to see us uh, dive more into that type of, uh, you know, systems-based analysis and X's and O's because, you know, I, I do think there's probably an appetite uh, for it, for that type of content yep. from from readers and listeners. But also, uh, it, it really is sort of the stuff that makes these playoffs uh, as as interesting as they are. And you're, you, with a guy like Barry Trotz, for example, it, it's always really tough. I mean, for every coach, it's, it's really tough to uh, separate the team and the personnel they have from the coach and the job he's doing himself, right? Because especially in the regular season, it's such a, you know, a talent driven league that it'd be really tough to mess up uh, this Capitals team in the regular season. Like they, you know, you could just, I, I feel like I could probably guide them to uh, to a very successful regular season, and I, I definitely don't think that I should be an NHL coach as much as I like to make fun of them sometimes online. Um, but at the same time, like 
when you enter the postseason, that's really where some of this stuff is heightened and uh, spotlights placed on it. And, you know, I, I thought that maybe he's been a bit slow to react in some of these series. It's taken a couple games, but at the same time, at least he's actually reached those conclusions. And, you know, I thought a big uh, turning point in that Leaf series was uh, just basically gluing that Niskan and Orlov pairing to the Matthews line and really slowing them down a bit. And after that, uh, the the way the Leafs could attack the Capitals really changed and was and was neutered a little bit. And, and at the same time, in, in, in this series, you know, you see stuff like, uh, you know, Nate Schmidt is finally getting into the lineup and playing and maybe some of that was just, you know, the good fortune of, of, of Carl's or having to miss a couple games and them having a chance to, to give Schmidt finally that opportunity or, or whether it's moving, uh, Ovechkin down to create more, more a three scoring line attack and moving Burakovsky up. Like right. it, he's, you, you can actually pinpoint specific changes he's made, uh, from an X's and O's perspective with his, with his lineup and with his players as, as these series have gone along. And that's the stuff I do like to see from my coach where you can actually see a discernible impact beyond, you know, he's, he's motivating them in the locker room before the games and he's a fun guy to be around. Like that's, that's, that's what these coaches are actually paid to do at the end of the day. Yeah, I I think that's right. Uh, And to an extent, you know, a coach kind of is in a damned if you do damned if you don't situation on that, because the second you move Ovechkin onto the third line and move Burkowski up uh, a move, which by the way has been tremendously successful and is really allowed uh, some of the hockey world to see what a, uh, gem Andre Burakovsky is. But, you know, the second you do that, you, you got uh, half the people saying, you know, if I'm going to lose, I want to go down with my guys playing the minutes. How do you demote Ovechkin at this time? You know, so uh, half the time your moves, uh, half the people are going to call panic moves. Other people are going to uh, give you the benefit of the doubt, maybe. But, you know, he has certainly made uh, some of those roster moves uh, lineup wise. uh that have worked out. He's also, uh, they've had some tweaks in what they're doing on breakouts. Uh, and that was, uh, a sore spot in that Toronto series for sure early on. And that's like one of the areas that, you know, I thought that, uh, you know, through three or three, probably three games, uh, Babcock really had a, uh, pronounced edge, uh, over trots. And that's a place where it is kind of a, you know, it's not necessarily zero sum, uh, but, you know, it's a direct battle uh, between those coaches on some of these uh, tactical things. Whereas, you know, people always talk about, and in this series, especially through the first couple games, uh, Flurry outplaying Holtby. And that always sort of uh, irks me a little bit because, you know, it, it's not one on one. You know, it doesn't really matter if Holtby's playing, outplaying Flurry or Flurry's outplaying Holtby. I mean, Flurry obviously was outplaying him. It's, uh, you know, it's whether these guys are good enough, uh, if they're playing well or they're not playing well. And it has little to do with the guys in front of them. You know, if the Caps were uh, winning each of those games 4 3 instead of losing them 3 2, I don't think that would make Holtby suddenly a better goaltender in those games. You know, he either was good or he wasn't good. Right. So, uh, you know, but coaching on the other hand, you know, if it, if that, that's a clearer uh, sort of chess match, a, a clearer like act and react kind of situation. Yeah. Well, I, I think people were missing the point a little bit with, uh, the move to the decision to move Ovechkin down to that third line with Lars Eller, because, you know, obviously, uh, 
instantly for a lot of people, it was, it was a little bit of a blood in the water thing where they could use it as an opportunity to uh, make, you know, use it as an, a frame it as an indictment against Ovechkin and the way he's playing and how he's not making uh, some sort of a massive impact. But I, I, I thought that it was a very uh, fascinating decision by Trotz because. You know, the, the, the Capitals have dominated the puck so much in this series and they've been winning the shot battle. But at the end of the day, you do need to convert those shots into goals. And some of it is just uh, random luck and bounces. And will you hope that it'll even out in time before you lose four games? But at, some of it is also just creating better looks and throwing and throwing different a different dynamic at the opposition. And, you know, Berkowski yeah. has looked perfectly uh serviceable in that role like I you know I, I had I had posited that he seemed like a natural fit to take over for TJ Oshie next year on that top line with with yep. Baxter and, and Ovechkin and that still might be true but uh you know now they have all of a sudden these different looks and maybe you keep Ovechkin with with Eller like it's it moving moving this stuff around in these different chess pieces is is uh is the smart thing to do here. And I think it's definitely given, it, it's made it tougher for a team like the Penguins to defend them because all of a sudden now you're going to have, you know, at least one dangerous scoring line out against someone not named Crosby or Malkin for the Penguins. And that's huge for the Capitals. It is. I mean, you, you have all of a sudden you have uh, Backstrom uh, with Oshie and Burkowski looking good. You have uh, Kuznetsov, Johansson and uh, Justin Williams, who may be the, the best trio they've had in the whole series. Uh, and then you have Ovechkin uh, with Eller and Tom Wilson running around hitting people and uh, creating some looks. I mean, Ovechkin in game five, he he uh, had a bunch of shot attempts. He was low down the, uh, the lineup in terms of ice time. I think he was about seventh among forwards in ice time, but he led in scoring chances uh, and uh, shot attempt. So, you know, he's going to get his looks no matter where he is. I mean, he's Alex Ovechkin, you know, he, he shoots the puck. It's what he does. So, you know, I I don't think anybody's got to worry about him getting his looks. Uh, and if you make the other, uh, two got two lines, uh, look a little better, all the better for it. I mean, this is a team that literally has spent, uh, the last 365 days, basically, uh, trying to, formulate a way to beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, they have had a singular focus on this series uh, in a way that like, you don't even see in sports, really. It's like the 2004 Red Sox against the Yankees or something where like every move they made was with one specific team in mind. And part of that for the Caps was uh, getting a top nine forwards that uh, could really, you know, score it, because it, it wasn't Malkin last year that did him in. It wasn't Crosby that did him in. It was that uh, Kessel line, yeah. the HBK line. And that's what they wanted to do. Uh, and up until they made this switch, uh, there wasn't a single goal from the uh, bottom six forwards uh, in the entire playoffs other than the three that Tom Wilson scored against Toronto. So uh, they needed to do something and they did and it worked and you know, suddenly here we are. Yes, here we are. Uh, I do want to talk a bit more about Burakovsky in a second here, but let's uh, let's hear from uh, hear from our sponsor, Pay Some Bills, and we'll 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 pick it back up on the other end of the show. We're deep in the trenches here with the playoff season. If you're a fan of a local team that's still fortunate enough to be competing for the title. 
that can be both a blessing and a curse. Uh, while I'm sure you'd love to be soaking up the full experience by going to the game in person and enjoying the type of unique atmosphere that can't really be replicated anywhere else, you're also probably not the only one who feels that way. And that means finding good seats to go to the game will be a challenge, and even if you do find a pair, uh, they're probably going to wind up being uh, incredibly pricey. And that's where Seeky comes into play, uh, who are sponsoring today's show. In just a couple clicks, uh, they'll do all the heavy lifting for you in finding the best possible seats available. They essentially scour the internet in a matter of seconds, putting together the best values with their incredibly easy-to-use, color-coded system of price ranges and locations. And the best part is that if you name-drop the PDO cast when you use their services, they'll even provide you with a $20 rebate to use on future tickets. And trust me, you'll wind up coming back and using them after you see how easy and handy they were to use. So to get that $20 rebate on tickets that I just mentioned, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, enter the promo code PDO, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code PDO today, and you can go to the game. All right. um, Yeah, Burakovsky. You know, it's very cool to see that he's uh, finally starting to, uh, you know, get some national love and attention here, uh, scoring some of these goals here against the Penguins in, in round two. It's it's interesting because he's coming up uh, for a new deal this summer, and you know I I don't think people want to be looking ahead right now and worrying about uh, expansion draft stuff and new contracts and what this Capitals team is going to look like next year. Like you're, you're focused clearly right now on this series and the rest of this postseason. But you know from from my perspective, it's it, it's interesting to think about some of this stuff and. You know, generally, we wouldn't see a guy like Burakovsky get all of a sudden a long-term deal on a second contract. He seems like a prime bridge candidate. But at the same time, I mean, uh, I'm sure you're as big of a fan of his game as I am. And it seems like he's a prime candidate if he gets put into a bit more of a scoring role next season, if, if TJ Oshie walks in free agency to uh, just absolutely explode offensively with the counting stats. And then you run the risk of potentially, uh, you know, missing out on an opportunity to buy some cheap years for him after after he becomes more expensive. So I like like what, what do you do with him? Do you uh just try to lock him up as long term as you can right now or do you kind of play it a bit more conservatively and go for a bridge contract? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There are a lot of moving parts this summer. I mean, this team uh no matter what happens uh in game 7 and or beyond uh is going to look different next year. Uh they've got Oshie, free agent, uh, Shattenkirk's free agent, uh, Justin Williams going UFA. And then they've got guys like Kuznetsov and Burakovsky who are RFA. So it's uh, there's a lot of moving parts. Um, I'd love to see him lock up Burakovsky for a while. I think he's uh, got an incredibly bright future. I'd love to see him lock up Kuznetsov for a while. I think that guy also a huge part of the future, obviously. Um, Absolutely, you run the risk if you don't lock him up of having to pay him the big, big bucks uh, on his next contract. Um, so it's going to be tough. It's going to be, you know, w- what do they see as their window right now? Are they uh, are they hoping that Burakovsky is here and maybe they have one more kick of the can next year, which they thought they might not have uh, prior? They, I mean, this is the second year of the two the the two year window that uh, Brian McClellan. You know, his words, not mine, uh, that it was a two year window. So uh, I think that maybe they've got a little bigger window than they even thought. But uh, this team's going to look a lot different next year. And uh, Burakovsky, no matter what kind of deal he's on, he's going to be a huge part of it. 
Well, how much of that different look do you think is going to be influenced by how uh, this game seven shakes out? Because you'd like to, you know, believe that uh, the people running the team would be able to take a more, uh, you know, cool, calculated approach and and take a step back and realize that regardless of whether they wind up winning or losing this game seven, uh, that it's still a really good team and will be considered a cup favorite again heading into next year if they pretty much brought back most of these guys. But at the same time, just we constantly see this uh, with, with with pro sports, regardless of the league, where it's like you can only go through so many of these uh, premature playoff, disappointing playoff exits before you know, the fans start clamoring for change. And then uh, maybe the people running the team feel like they're on the hot seat and they have to mix things up. And then all of a sudden you, you can really get yourself into danger. I mean, I am, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir a little bit here because we've, we've right. seen the capitals themselves do, go through this cycle. So it's uh, I don't know, like, like it, it, it seems like it's a fair, fair question to raise how much uh, the, the result of this one game is going to influence what this team is going to look like moving forward. Yeah, I, I don't think that uh, the one game is going to make that big a difference. Um, and for all, you know, for, for all I, I just said about them looking very different, there's only so much uh, change that they can make. I mean, they're they're not trading Alex Ovechkin, uh, and I don't think he's going to retire to the KHL just so he can play in the Olympics or something next year. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, Nick Backstrom's obviously going to be back. Uh, guys like Kuznetsov and Johansson and uh, Andre Burakovsky are going to be a huge part of. Uh, sort of that secondary scoring. I, I guess it'll be interesting to see uh, what they do with Oshi. Um, you know, you and I both know that he's uh, uh, on the wrong side of 30 now uh, and just uh, scored 33 goals while shooting a ridiculous 23%. Then, mm-hmm. you know, you sign, he, he's going to want to uh, hit a home run in free agency, I would think. Uh, and I think we both would be very gun shy on anything uh, that's more than a couple years uh, in duration. So, you know, I think, I think they'd like to try to find a way to keep him. Um, I don't know how much, uh, you know, sort of the sentimentality is going to play in there. I know that he and uh, Ovechkin are close. I know everybody loves TJ Oshie here, here in Washington. Um, but, you know, sometimes you got to make business decisions uh, you know, maybe Justin Williams is a, a cheaper, easier uh, guy to bring back also. But, you know, then you're going to probably let Carl Alsner walk, which is something that uh, at the beginning of the season, I didn't think they were going to be leaning towards. But now I, I get the impression that they are. Uh, and, and other than that, you know, you'll see Nate Schmidt and Dmitry Orlov playing a bigger role next year uh, with Niskanen and John Carlson probably in your top four. Brooks Orpik will be here unless George McPhee does the team a tremendous favor. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it, it's going to look fairly similar. Uh, they've got maybe a couple guys knocking on the door down in Hershey and they'll, you know, maybe retool a little bit. Uh, but it's, I, I can't imagine them making too many uh, changes based on the outcome of uh, this one game, which is, you know, Win or lose, they're playing the second best team in the NHL over the course of the season. Uh, you know, obviously Pittsburgh's missing their number one goalie and their best defenseman, and I guess there are questions about how healthy the uh, Sidney Crosby may or may not be uh, at this point. But you know, um, if they don't if they don't win it, um, I, I can't see any specific 
lineup moves that they should make that uh, that would address why they didn't win it this time around. Um, certainly nothing on the ice, uh, I'd say. Yeah. Well, so okay, let's let's spin it forward to that game seven now. Um, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, and, and be honest with me here. I, I know that, you know, in speaking with you, uh, in, in the past, you, you've admitted as such that, you, you know, you, you, you've kind of, your emotions have died down a little bit here. You're more of a grizzled vet now. You've been, yeah. you've been through so many wars here that there's only, uh, so much more heartache you can take and you've kind of, uh, distanced yourself a little bit emotionally from it. But at the same time, um, I feel like you, you, uh, as a Capitals fan, you're probably, uh, feeling all a roller coaster of emotions right now leading up into this game seven? Uh, a little bit, uh, in, in some respects. And, you know, I, I don't, I can't speak for all caps fans, obviously, but, uh, sort of felt that three, one sort of resigned yourself, you know, you, you, you almost checked out a little bit, uh, while still, you know, having some hope, but, uh, it, it's almost like they're playing a little bit with house money as a fan right now. Uh, it would still be rough to lose it, but uh, somewhere along the way, I did like I don't know. I figured out like the secret of fan of, of like sports fandom or something like that <laughs> because like because <laughs> I, I can be pretty indifferent on losses, but still be every bit as happy on wins. And uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just my old age or something, but it, it's like uh, I got to this point where uh, the losses don't hurt uh, like they did in like 2010 uh but the wins you know when they come uh they still feel uh pretty darn good so yeah i i think that uh you know go out there leave it out there if they you know if it whatever happens happens um but you know with if momentum is a thing that can carry over game to game obviously i think the caps should feel pretty good about it um you know if they play the way they play the last four periods of of hockey in this series uh, there's no reason that they can't uh, uh, come out on top on Wednesday night. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely don't think that the, the momentum thing has anything to do with it, but I just think that they've shown uh, pretty clearly here that there's the superior team, and unless Mark Andre Fleury makes something like 45 saves or something, and or Crosby just has an, uh, an you know an out of body experience, which I see, I feel like he's definitely capable of, or or getting sure. Morgan too. Um, you know, there there is a blueprint here for the Penguins to to take a game from them. Uh, they've shown that so far, taking three of them. But I just I just feel like if uh, if the Capitals play their game, they're they're going to be you know boys to finally uh, get over this little hump here and and it, it's it's interesting I, I don't want to look too far ahead because it's, it's going to wind up uh it's going to wind up being a pretty funny podcast if we're like planning out uh capitals opponents for the eastern conference final and potentially the stanley cup final and then they wind up yeah. losing in the second round so i definitely don't want to get into that but it's like i think either one of these teams um is going to be considered a pretty heavy favorite regardless of who comes out of that uh ranger senator series which is also an interesting wrinkle to kind of look ahead to yeah, uh, I, I think that's probably right. Uh, but, you know, uh, at least for this Caps team, nothing ever comes easy. And uh, the Rangers have played them incredibly well over the, the past handful of years. Uh, and anytime you got Henrik Lundqvist, uh, you know, that's a guy that can uh, single-handedly win a series for you. So, uh, you know, I, I know that the Caps are focused. You know, me and you could 
do our uh, Barry Trotz versus Philip Forsberg uh, Stanley Cup Finals preview now if you want, but I think that we're better off probably uh, hanging out uh, and seeing what happens in Game Seven here. We could always record it and then just stash it, and it could be like, <laughs> right. It could be, like, exactly. well, it could be like one of those things, you know, where like they print off the the T-shirts for both uh, potential right. champions, and then they just wind up like shipping off the other one somewhere else, and, and there's people walking around wearing like. Hilariously, like outdated shirts that don't make any sense. So yeah, it's 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 exactly. uh, we could definitely do that. No, I I, I think um, you know, listen, I tried to uh, get you to take the bait there with my with my <laughs> potential jinx, and you really showed that you have figured figured out this fan thing, and that you are a real grizzled vet. So uh, it's uh, it was good to see. Um, John, do you want to do you want to plug some stuff? What's uh, what's going on over at Japers Rink? What what are you guys doing these days? I mean, we're just trying to to, to ride this thing out and uh, provide sort of the, the key things that everybody needs to know about, write about it, react to it, uh, inform people, and uh, try to keep everybody on a little bit of an even keel. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens uh, going forward. Excellent. Well, I definitely recommend checking that out and enjoy the Game 7, and we will chat with you sometime down the road. Sounds real good. All right. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.